Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 29. Thread is God's Word tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry, whether you serve informally or as a vocation. Uh, Today's Thread covers chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, and we're on the topic of how our weakness is actually a door that can lead to the power of God showing up in our life and in our ministry. You know, as so often happens in life, sometimes there are really great lessons that come in when you're not even trying to get a lesson. You know, that's serendipity when, you're, when you make an accidental discovery. And that's just where so much of the great stuff in Second Corinthians comes in. Because Paul is engaged in a very emotional wrestling match against a group of showy, proud people who have seized leadership of the church in Corinth, and they just keep fighting for control there. And these people violate clear principles of Scripture, clear principles from the kingdom of God and the life and manner of Jesus, and it just alarms Paul. And he's got this fierce parental love for this church. And he told him in the last lesson, you know, I live and everything we all do, me and my team, is just for your edification. In chapter 12, verse 15, he said, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, even though the more I love you, the less I'm loved back. You know, he's taking all the hits in this battle and too few people in the Christian community there are standing with him. They're all sort of like passive spectators watching this big moment in their life as a Christian community. And here we get to chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And Paul, you know, this is a context. He he says, I've had it. I've had enough. And I am going to deal openly with these people when I get there, even if it's painful for everybody. Um, You know, this church does not belong to Paul. This church belongs to Jesus. And it's like these people, these uh, carnal leaders, are trying to seduce the bride of Christ. And, you know, Christ is his brother, and he's not going to stand for this. So, you know, Paul comes to this passage with this really emotional, pretty much angry, threatening feeling in his heart. But as as he's kind of blowing it out against them, Out comes this unexpected spiritual insight, and I've never noticed it before. It comes about uh, connected to a theme that just keeps coming up and up in this letter, and that is the difference between human status, human ability, versus spiritual power and spiritual authority. They're not the same thing. Uh, Things that make humans win, things that make humans follow other humans, that's a completely human system, you know, that has nothing to do with God. You know, if you follow someone because he's three inches taller than you, that's just what stature does toward, uh, toward, toward humans in leadership. It, it's a benefit. If you're a tall person, you're benefited. Um, none of this has anything to do with the power of God or with the authority that God puts on his messengers. And it's actually almost reverse because Paul wants to talk about the relationship between human weakness, human infirmity, uh, and that doesn't just mean sickness. It means, you know, the, those, I don't know, the, what's wrong with us, all the different stuff that's wrong with us. 
human infirmity, human failure when we try and we, we don't succeed, you know, when you, you swing and miss. Human physical breakdown, Paul's talked about that, about how the body is in the process, you know, an adult body is in the process of breaking down. The death clock kicks in at 18 and your own body starts removing uh, health from you to break you down so that eventually you, you pass on through this world. And Paul says, you know, this is we're, this is reality. We're stuck. We are God's human messengers, even though we're so unstable. We're emotionally unstable. We're physically unstable. We're, we're just all over the place. And yet, it's us. We're the messengers because the gospel is not something that angels deliver. It's a human message for humans. It's the message of God to the human race. And only humans can be the ones who deliver this for him. And, uh, you know, th- there's a relationship between our brokenness, our woundedness, our weakness, our failure, our physical breakdown, and the power of God flowing in our lives. Uh, so let me just read verse 4, because that's, that's where this whole thing just, like, dawns on me. Paul says, verse 4, of chapter 13. For though he, Jesus, though he was crucified in weakness, though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. So let's, let's just unpack that a little bit. Jesus was crucified in weakness. That's where the teaching starts. You know, it, it was the weakness of Jesus that allowed his defeat. It's Jesus versus uh, sophisticated uh, religious corruption. Uh, an entire entitled class of society that had come to own the religion of the people. And they can plan a murder even as they run, you know, worship in the temple and and feel no contradiction about that. You've got people that are that cold inside and you've got the Roman legion and you've got Jesus, just one man. And by the time everybody was finished uh, beating on him and mocking him and uh, abusing him, he was so weak that he could not even carry his own cross he did not have the physical ability to even carry a cross. He could not resist his abusers. He could not, even if he wanted to, he could not. He did not have the physical ability to run away, to push free, to even you know pull his hand away from the, the cross as they were about to nail him to it. He didn't have the ability to do that. He was in weakness. And it was his weakness that took him over as the blood drained from his body. And it was harder and harder to breathe. And his mind got foggy and he couldn't even think very clearly. And he began to lapse in and out of consciousness. And then suddenly his heart bursts and and he expires and the last breath comes out of him. And he is so weak. He is so gone that, you know, a fly can land on his eyeball and he can't even blink. He's dead. He's weak. He's defeated. And in that state, he is, 
They've, you know, that's how he ends on the cross. And then in the tomb, he's cold and absolutely without the ability to even move a muscle. He's dead. But then in that state comes the entrance of an entirely external source of power and life. It is not physical life. It is not the strength of a human. It is not the strength of a human intellect. It is not the will to survive. It is an external source of life. It came from the spirit world. It was God's own presence. And he brought his zoe, his life force, into the dead body of Jesus. And it transformed his mortal body into a hybrid body that can, on the one hand, eat food and hug friends, but on the other hand, walk through walls and overcome gravity. God's power overwhelmed his weakness, but didn't come on him until his weakness was absolutely complete. You know, it's like the power of God doesn't seem to kick in completely until we hit the human exhaustion of abilities. But then it comes on, and that's when the amazing things happen. And Paul has seen the light of all this. I mean, he's a scholar. He's a politician. He's, he's a speaker. He's a leader. He's got a lot of human ability. And yet, he has realized where his successes come from and where he is suddenly full of not just human power, but of God's abilities, God's power. And in all of that, it's, it's helped him to stop trying to be a hero and to stop trying to be the winner and stop trying so desperately to be affirmed as the darling of other people in ministry. Um, because, you know, we, we want, we feel this pressure on us because it's a competitive world that we live in and we want to be first and we want to be the smartest and we want to be the most successful. And in this new model of ministry that we've got around us, that's so much a, a salesman thing. You know, we just feel like we have to be ahead of everybody else. We have to be, have the perfect marriage and, the, you know, good looking body and pearly white teeth and great intelligence. And you got to have an education. You got to have, you know, got to look successful. You got to dress smart. All this pressure. And it's really just because of we're connected to the media. Uh, entertainment industry now and we've taken that as part of our model but you know it's always been pressure because we also know there's this exemplary aspect of ministry you're supposed to be an example of the thing that you're up there talking about so you know we feel this pressure and our culture puts the pressure on us you know to be barbie and ken you know to, to physically to be a great specimen and have it all together and be cool and and all that, and Paul is saying, well, that's how you win as a human. But he's noticed that in the kingdom, the true life-changing power of God, it doesn't even come from our commitment to excellence. It comes from our weakness hitting a wall, and somehow that opens a valve that allows this supernatural flow, and maybe the crack place, is what actually allows the supernatural to flow into us. And, you know, the, this crack in us gets opened up, and we need to learn to own our weakness and just trust God to provide 
100% of what we cannot provide. You know, this whole idea, and he's, he, he weaves it all through this book, this concept of being an earthen vessel, you know, a, a clay pot. It's a key theme about ministry in this book. Paul has absolute confidence in the paradox of how weak human beings can still be used as the very vessel that will dispense the life of God to other people. You know, cracked clay pots, but we bear about the death of Jesus in us. This weakness that we feel is connected to his weakness so that we can also access and experience that life force of Jesus. This this expression, this phrase in verse 4, for we are weak in him. I just think it's so cool. Because it's unexpected, you know, and that's the one that jumped out to me because we work so hard just to believe we are strong in him. And we work to convince ourselves, you know, like that little engine, uh, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And Paul says, yes, it's true. Um, We are strong in him. And yes, we can. But the way to access God's power is actually by resting against the chest of the Lord as you face the insurmountable challenges of life and just allow yourself to be weak in him, you know, and to say in your heart, my Lord will take care of this. You know, the Lord will make a way for me. You know, like David with Goliath, it's a good model of this because resting in the Lord doesn't mean that you sit on the bench and watch God fight. David and Jesus, and Paul, and all the rest of us, are still going to have to be the ones who face the giant. And we're still going to have to be the ones who bring the giant down. Uh, and the, and that's what the end of verse 4 says. We are weak in him, but we shall live with him, and we shall live by the power of God. But that power of God, it doesn't come from you know pumping ourselves up. It comes from calming ourselves down. And gaining 100% assurance that your weakness is not part of the equation here. You don't need to count your soldiers to see if you have close to the enemy's number. And you don't need a spreadsheet with pros and cons before you take action. Jesus took, uh, took the good, appropriate, common sense planning of his 12 apostles away from them just before he sent them into his ministry. And he said, I want you guys to go out and, you know, speak for me. Here are the cities I'm coming to. You guys go in there first, tell them I'm coming, pray for their people, take care of them, minister to them, and I'm, I'm coming right behind you, you know. And they did what they should have. They had common sense. They did the human thing, and they planned well for this trip. But he wanted them to experience this universal kingdom rule, your weakness activates God's supply. And so he says, okay, guys, who's got wallets? And they go, oh, we got wallets. We, we pack money for the trip. And I go, great, give me your wallets. Super. It's going to be cold tonight. Who brought a blanket? You know, who's got an extra coat? And they've all got their coats. Go, great, give me your coats. Let's see the coats. All right, and what if your shoes break down? You know, what if you, your sandal snaps? You can't walk this trip barefoot. You guys bring extra sandals? Oh, yes, Lord, we've got extra sandals. All right, give me your sandals. And he piles all this stuff up and he you know, strips them of everything they have. And he says, all right, now 
takeoff on your, what, month long, two, three months? I don't know how long it took him to do this trip uh, because it's his big tour for that season as he was going city by city. And they were, you know, Lord, we we won't have anything. We don't even have money to buy any food. We can't buy a drink. We can't pay for a place to sleep. We What are we going to do? And he says, watch what happens. He sends them out. And at the end of this whole season of ministry, he connects with them again at their rendezvous point, And he says, tell me what happened. And they tell him, and they're so excited. They had supernatural outflow. They were casting out demons. They were doing things they, I don't think, had ever done at that level in their lives. They are uh, in, they're connecting with people. They are sleeping in the homes of different people. They've got all these new relationships. They've got this heart connection with ministry. And Jesus says, did you lack anything? And they said, no, Lord, we didn't lack anything. You know, if you know that God is telling you to do something and you know you cannot do it, you just have to believe like Peter that you can walk on water now because the Lord told you to do so. And when he does that, he provides the ability to do anything he commands you to do. And it comes through that blanket of spiritual authority that he places on us. So we need to learn to live in that and trust it and wrap it around us and believe that our human weaknesses and strengths are not the deciding factor in our ministry. Uh, I've mentioned them before, but I can't help but go back to them again because Jim and Helen Mann are one set of my spiritual parents, especially as missionaries. They are my missionary model. I met them when I was about 16 or 17 and spent the summer with them when I was 18 and had uh, just really given myself to the Lord and um, had a calling on my life and didn't know where I was going with it. But they were missionaries to Mexico, didn't start being missionaries till they were in their 60s. And they were, uh, they were just such beautiful people. But they were in their 60s, didn't speak Spanish very well, uh, and got taken advantage of all the time. And uh, they were just weak, you know, humanly weak. They didn't have powerful friends. They didn't have a lot of money. They would uh, load up a van, a very simple common van, and just pack good stuff, you know, to give away to people. And they'd go down into uh, Ciudad Victoria in Tamaulipas and hold uh, open-air film showings because they didn't speak Spanish. So they would show a Jesus film, and then Jim would speak through an interpreter. And he was, you know, he, he, he wasn't, like, great preacher. He was just... He was a builder. He was a contractor that rolled a tractor over on himself and had pretty much died. And his wife had gotten saved, Helen, and she just kept praying, Oh, Lord, don't let Jim die and go to hell. And she prayed that all night long. And the Lord healed him, and he got up off the gurney, and they had just, like, pushed him over in the corner, didn't know anything else they could do for him. And uh, he he just got up and walked out, and he was healed. And God started using him. He'd tell his testimony. and But just, you know, a common folksy Georgia people, sweet people, but, you know, not, not well-connected, not strong, powerful, but, yes, powerful in the spirit and 100% believing that God could use their life. You know, that it didn't enter their minds. 
oh, but we don't speak Spanish well enough. We can't do it. Oh, but, you know, if you speak through an interpreter, that can't nearly be as powerful, you know, and I don't really know the culture and, you know, all this mind game stuff. They just blundered into it and, and through this planted 120 churches and they did it in their 60s and 70s. And it was just uh, amazing to watch. You know, they were just simple, calm, common people who left the door of their little house in Mexico open. And people would just knew they could wander in there. They'd minister to them, pray for them, give them some food. And, and did, they just did a great work for God. I don't know many people that have planted 120 churches in their life, maybe like two people except them, and they did it in a cross-cultural setting. So the whole point is, you know, the true result of our ministry is not the the impressing people part. When other people say, oh, that was the best singing I've ever heard. or It's the part where they say, I was blind, but now I see. You know, the kind of ministry results, when people really do get saved, and they get cleansed, and they get liberated, and they get redirected, and bondage, falls away from them. This kind of stuff does not come from smoke and lights. It comes from the, it, and it also doesn't come from the excellence of our stage presence. And I mean, it's a lot of work to get that stuff right. And I, you know, I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying none of that has anything to do with the power of God. The power of God flows from wounded humans into other wounded humans when they lay hands on them and broken clay pot, insignificant, prone to failure, but the glory of God will flow through us, broken as we are, so that it is clear to everyone that God himself is the one who is present and at work. You know, he wants the world to see his love for them. He wants the world to feel the power of the blood that his son shed on the cross for them. So, you know, on the one hand, when we focus on building a personal ministry that impresses people, we're actually seducing his bride away from him. We're trying to get her to look at us instead of look at him. And on the other hand, when we can feel our self-esteem needs being met in him and stop doing anything except consciously representing him through our hands and eyes and words and presence, allow him to use our decaying body for his glory then he can start to do things through us in people that we've never seen him do. It's a relaxed kind of ministry. It doesn't have much performance pressure. But I really want to spend more time praying for the presence of God to flow through me and less time perfecting the ministry machine that we build with our own hands and then the thing runs our, runs our life. And it's so tedious, and it, it just does not even hardly give us time to you know sit and think and and just be, you know. And that's kind of the basic message of this book: is our weakness does not hinder God. It may actually be the thing He needs so that we will you know relax from being the the person on the stage and letting Him be the one who's on the stage. You know, God is searching for ambassadors who will represent him on earth and he's going to anoint these ambassadors with spiritual authority and they will be able to set oppressed people free and deliver messages for God and do actions from God on his behalf. And we don't need anything else. We need this appointment and this appointment will make us successful. 
in setting people free. And he will use us when we don't know their language. He will use us when we have no money to give them. He will use us when we're so tired ourselves. And he will use us when we really don't want to see another person. But when we are weak, we should be glad because if we will push on, his power is going to do the rest. And we can all just relax in that. You know, in verse 9, Paul says he's glad to be weak if it means strengthening the Corinthian people in Christ. You know, whatever works to build them up. It's just such a puzzle, you know, that the best work of God seems to come in the absence of our hard work. Because, you know, we have other scriptures about diligence and sacrifice and being good stewards. And Paul was a model of all this. And there is some kind of balance. But I think most of us are way overbalanced. I know I am. On the human control, human ability side. And it's kind of, in my mind, it's causing the death of modern Pentecostalism and other spirit movements. Because, you know, uh, as you study... My doctoral studies were in spirituality and the history of the spiritual, mm, spiritual search uh, among Christian people. And uh, Urban Holmes had this, this drawing, and he talked about moving from structure to anti-structure. And that structure always chokes, like it chokes life out. Uh, and so we always have to move away from structure to some level of anti-structure. And that's, you know, that's like going from the city into the wilderness, going from top-down centralized control to the chaos of a movement. Uh, and, you know, and it is chaos, and there, there's mess to it. Uh, and eventually, you know, we can't stand the mess, and we start organizing it. But the more we organize it, the less life is in it. There's just this constant, sort of like a tide uh, as we try to do things for God and try to organize these things, you know, that we, we structure them. And then we need to get away from so much structure if there's going to be any life in it. When I was uh, pastoring my first church, I had three times a week to preach. And Sunday morning and Sunday night, those were back-to-back. And that was always kind of tough. And the only way I knew I could survive it was Sunday morning, you know, I did my very best uh, seminary-trained deep, you know, theological, work like crazy, prepare notes. And that was my Sunday morning. Sunday night, I had a basic outline and nothing else. And I just, I felt like I, I couldn't survive without doing it that way. And I felt like I needed, I needed it both ways. And I felt like the church needed it both ways. Um, That Sunday night was going to be a little more free flowing. I was going to trust the Lord more to tell me what to say. Uh, and I wasn't going to, uh, you know, have to preach long, uh, but just we'd see what the Lord did. And I'd have to say we all enjoyed the nights more. They were unscripted. We never knew exactly what God might do when we gave him space. Uh, in my heart, I didn't feel like I could do that Sunday mornings, too. I felt like I needed, I needed the balance. I needed to have to dig in the Word and be serious about my scholarship and they needed to hear some orderly teaching. But I also absolutely recognized the life that came on Sunday nights, you know. So, you know, I don't want to be in a religion business. God help us all. If that's what this becomes. Uh, you know, I'm happy to be the people, part of the people that God has chosen to be Levites. 
and we clean up the land and we set up the, you know, the tent of meeting, which was made by humans and the tabernacle in the wilderness. And we drive real wooden pegs in the ground. You know, we hold that tent up like the old Testament and we iron out the wrinkles in the fabric and we get the incense ready. And you know, that's some of that's ministry work. There's the, just the organizing of it all. But all of that, that isn't really the thing, you know. That's the preparation for the real happening. And the real happening has to be the manifestation of the presence of God among us. And I can't make that happen. But we can call a meeting for it, and we can create the space for it. And the tent of meeting, you know, that was a very human thing to build, but it was a promise from God that if you'll build it, I'll come. You know, if you'll set up the meetings for God to meet with man, I'll show up. And I just thank God he's willing to be like that. That's what the kingdom of God means. It's God being present and active among humans, taking authority over their lives and circumstances. And somebody has to be the Levite and get it all organized. And I thank God for allowing me to do that all my life. You know, somebody has to care about the tent and set it up and mend it and invite the people to come to the place where God's going to come visit them and bring order to the process of men and women, boys and girls, seeking to meet the God who made them. But I can't do a thing about that meeting, really, except that I can stop talking and I can give God space. And sometimes it's awkward space because, you know, it's, it's a dead space in the talking. And I think that's probably the battle that we're all in, in, in as modern church leaders is creating awkward space for God. It's like you've been in this earnest conversation with somebody and then another person enters the room and you really need to stop talking and introduce that person and let them take over the conversation at this point. And that's our role. You know, I want to get comfortable with the fact that my performance is preliminary. It's not the real thing. It's not what it's all about, you know. And if the whole time God is waiting and I keep standing on center stage, pushing and talking and trying to make things happen and make everybody say, you know, that this was a great meeting and how excellent this ministry thing is that we're building. And then I, at the end say, that's all folks, greet one another, have a great day. And God was never really present. I mean, what a tragedy. And yet I'm sure it happens every single day. And I'm sure I've been part of that myself, but I've got, you know, I've got my own dreams of ministry even at this stage in my life and, uh, and, and dreams for what God's got us building here. But you know, my dream is that I can rest in a place of human weakness and I can be a Levite who does my, you know, do my duties, but know that I'm not the thing and that I'm just there to open the door for a conversation and to have 100% confidence that when I do that, God is going to step up and he will be present in the lives of other people. Uh, my weakness not being a problem for him, but actually opening a door for him. We are weak in him. And that's a power. Let that settle in you for a while. Well, this week, expect God to use you. You're the light of the world. So shine on. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. See you back next time on Twitter.